China's President Xi Jinping knew about the outbreak of the coronavirus in early January. That was two weeks before the government confirmed the first person-to-person -person transmission of the virus. And more than a week before Dr. Li Wanliang was silenced by the government for alerting colleagues. COVID-19, a global epidemic now found in 172 countries and is rapidly expanding throughout the globe. However, how much do we really know about this virus? Hi, my name is Maria Faye Diaz and I'll be taking you through an auditory guide. guide through the pandemic that has affected more than 450 million people worldwide and as of March 25, 2020, taken more than 20,000 lives. Now to recap what I said in my last episode, the coronavirus disease, also known as COVID-19, is an infectious disease caused by a new virus. This disease causes respiratory illnesses just like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. It spreads primarily through contact with an infected person when they cough or sneeze. It also spreads when a person touches a surface or object that has the virus on it, then touches your mouth, nose, or eyes. There are several ways you can protect yourself, one of them being by washing your hands frequently and avoiding touching your face, avoiding close contact, and distancing yourself with people who are unwell. You may be wondering why I'm calling the coronavirus disease COVID-19 now. The reason for that being that many are questioning the similarity that the coronavirus disease has with SARS. However, the answer is no. The virus that causes COVID-19 and the one that caused the outbreak of severe acute respiratory syndrome, also known as SARS, in 2003 are related to each other genetically, but the diseases they cause are quite different. People of all ages can be infected by the new coronavirus. People and the people with pre-existing medical conditions such as asthma, diabetes, and heart disease appear to be more vulnerable to becoming severely ill with the virus. And so, in today's episode, we'll be talking about the government's response to the initial outbreak. Now, President Xi and other leaders knew about the severity of the virus weeks before it was released to the public. The snippet you heard at the beginning of the podcast was Mr. Xi's making his first public remark about the epidemic on January 20th, which he mostly kept at the bottom of his public agenda. The day before the Lunar Year holiday began in late January, he took the stage of the Great Hall of the People in Beijing and declared his success in guiding China through a difficult year, but making no mention of the virus that was already spreading fear throughout the country. As he spoke, Wuhan, a city of 11 million people, was going into lockdown mode in desperate attempt to stop the virus from spreading. Therefore, China's leaders are being accused of acting irresponsibly towards their lack of response as it did very little to stop the virus from being contained. On January 16th, a newspaper in Hong Kong publishes an interview with Huang Yi, a director of the State Key Laboratory of Emerging Infection Diseases at the University of Hong Kong. He said, Maximum incubation period for the coronavirus is 15 days. Since there were no additional cases found in the mainland China since January 3rd, the epidemic should be under control. But as you now know, this is not the case. The official figures, and as you may know, the 
people working at this laboratory of emerging infectious diseases painted an optimistic picture that the epidemic was under control. While authorities in China played down the epidemic and allowed travel to continue as usual, the international community took action to prevent the spread of the virus. Although on January 17, things turned for the worse. Many began fearing that the extent of the infection could cause an economic slowdown. But so far, the government has suspended flights, closed factories, and canceled conferences. And on January 17th, U.S. Centers for Disease Control, also known as the CDC, had a press briefing on the coronavirus. This briefing mentioned that they will be screening passengers on direct and connecting flights from Wuhan. And then on January 23rd, there was an announcement from Wuhan Special Task Force combating the virus. Starting at 10 a.m., city buses, subways, ferries, and long-haul passenger buses will stop operating. And any Wuhan citizen without special reasons should not leave the city. Even exits from the airport and train stations will be closed temporarily. And China even took the unprecedented action to quarantine an entire city two days before the lunar year. A clear signal to the public of the severity of the pandemic, 5 million people had already left at this point. Out of Wuhan during the lunar year transportation rush. But also due to the epidemic, China's official cancellation on the most important meeting of the communist calendar, a parliament meeting, the standing committee of the National People's Congress, China's legislature announced that there was no longer any meeting. Showing us that perhaps as they were struggling to contain the virus, they had to delete one of the most important meetings of the year. Meanwhile, in the United States, we took similar actions. The Trump administration declared a public health emergency in the United States and said that it will close its borders to foreign nationals who have recently been in China. While U.S. citizens returning from China's Hubei provinces, the epidemic of the outbreak will undergo a mandatory two-week quarantine. And also that all incoming in-flights China will be soon funneled through seven U.S. airports. That developments have shown us how the scope of the outbreak is seeping into the U.S. consciousness. Public health officials work to calm the growing fears. And even the Department of Health and Human Services, also known as the HHS, has asked the Pentagon to find the military installations near 11 major airports that could potentially house up to 220 U.S. citizens quarantined due to the novel infection. Though we have come to the realization that this perhaps was made too late. The findings indicate the extent to which flight cancellations and the new regulations had effectively shut down the U.S. and China travel since the first coronavirus case was diagnosed in the United States on January 20th. But the United States quarantined a handful of passengers under the Trump greening starting from February 2nd, where this new Travel rules took effect, and airports are monitoring over a thousand daily flights to the United States, operated by over 400 carriers and 288 airports worldwide. And it was an estimated 200,000 Americans that are still in China or have recently left the country. But these steps were not meant to slow down the spread. It was meant to keep and seal the virus from coming and entering the United States. However, it has failed to do exactly that. For back in Wuhan, a confusing sequence of events it was announced a policy allowing some people to in small groups, implying that the disease had been sufficiently contained to allow a relaxation of the lockdown. Yet three hours later, the decision was reversed. These new policies have made countries like Italy take drastic measures to try to halt the outbreak in the north of the country, which means including imposing fines on 
anyone caught entering or leaving outbreak areas. As I have mentioned before, in an attempt to contain the virus, China issued the largest quarantine in human history, locking down an estimated 45 million people. They also locked down 16 cities, and anyone who doesn't comply to new rules, according to Communist Party leading group, municipal level, oh, not the National Communist Party, that anyone not willing to comply shall be held accountable according to the law. Deceased experts focus on the lessons that could be learned from COVID-19, that the epidemics are most likely to grow in an authoritarian society. As many know, China is a communist country, and President Xi is one of the most powerful leaders yet. As an important leader, he only prioritizes one thing, stability. It is inevitable that many people in this communist society have this mentality of trying to please the higher-ups, much like we know today when we try to be on good terms with, let's say, our bosses, mentors, etc. The People's Daily, the government's newsletter, ignored the outbreak on January 1st. In fact, there was no mention of the epidemic for 20 consecutive days leading up to January 20th. Even when they announced it, it was interpreted in a way that it was not to be taken seriously. However, it is when an outbreak initially occurs that the best time to respond is as early as possible. This means when you have just a handful of human cases where you can actually identify who gave it to who, but that response was exactly the opposite. And the United States is falling into this category at this very important moment. And it's failing to do one thing, identify. Identify how many people are actually infected, how many people do not have access to medical care, and how many people can this virus spread to on a national level. Gather all those numbers is a vital factor to prevent the spread and help prevent further epidemics from happening. One of the most deadly errors that the United States has made so far is regarding to testing. It is often inaccessible and those who have access to it had doctors mentioning that throat swaps may miss as many as two-thirds in the infection. But in my opinion, responding to these demands for widespread testing would have most likely resulted in a smaller outbreak if testing had been available sooner. Yet in order to improve the infection, protecting and getting those in vulnerable groups treatment especially those that are in homeless shelters, nursing homes, and in prison. And in healthcare facilities, it is also important to know when it's safe to discharge patients. For example, those with severe pneumonia should be tested for the infection. For I can express the fact that it is essential to help understand where the virus is spreading and to whom, and its pattern. So do not show symptoms should not be tested in order to preserve the very little resources that we have so far. This would also help those who are not infected not getting infected in the process of getting tested. It is evident that China, as well as the United States, were not prepared adequately for the number of cases that would overwhelm our healthcare system. For instance, if there were too many cases at one time, it would not allow us to take care of those who could be safe. And it could also overwhelm our healthcare system if it were to spread from patients to healthcare workers, such as one incident that happened in Wuhan, China, as well as in northern Italy. Which is why it's so important for protective equipment to be available for healthcare workers. And if you really think about it, if China could build a thousand bedded hospitals in eight days, the United States should do as much as it can to provide and care for the patients as safely as possible.
This is why in many areas of China, as well as the United States, they have an urgent social distancing measures that may seem extreme, but are there to reduce the spread and to flatten the curve. What is this flattening the curve, you may ask? This overwhelming curve is our healthcare system. Thinking of it as a graph, we could have a higher chance of battling this infection if it only were to spread over a long period of time. Too many cases at once could strain our medical health system and medical workers. Going back to what I said about early responses, one lesson to be learned from this epidemic is that as soon as there's a possible chance from animal to human transmission, they should be closing off life markets. And for that very same reason, the Chinese government had all life animal markets closed down nationwide. Many might not be aware that almost a third of the city eats live animals, and at this point, you're unaware of the infection that may be spreading and becoming a dangerous combination in places like this, where these life markets are not necessarily illegal, but are very not well regulated. And the jumping from species is a perfect opportunity for that to happen rapidly. And President Xi has gone as far as releasing videos of cities being sprayed down and fumigated to most likely ensure the people that there has been action taking place. And as it becomes important to know what's happening inside communist countries like China, to basically know what we're up against, the World Health Organization leader met President Xi to ensure and praise him for handling well the situation. I think that was a very smart move of them to do because you want to be in good terms with them and to know exactly what you're up against. Anyways, he praised the Chinese government for following the right procedures. But what exactly are these right procedures and did the government follow them? I have included four major factors that may sum up what right procedures may mean. The first one being detection, containment, medications, and vaccinations. The first one being detection. This may bring up the question which countries and regions in the world are at risk. If you take in, for example, how many other countries are responding to the epidemic, Russia, for example, is prepared with high numbers of ventilators per capita than most Western countries, which suggests that the country may not have been in the worst position as the outbreak spreads. The French president wants people at home for at least 15 days. Germany, having the third highest number of infected people, wants all non-essential shops and sports venues as well as bars to be closed and wants people to refrain from traveling abroad. The United Kingdom, for instance, is different from the lockdowns and restrictions from other European countries, which means they have asked people if they know anyone that's showing symptoms of the virus or have a fever to refrain from mass gathering and stay at home. In places like Indonesia, they were asked to declare a national emergency because they were not doing enough to inform people of how serious the virus was. Instead, they declared this disease an unnatural national disaster. The second factor I'll be talking about is containment. After three weeks after the first detection, cities didn't shut down. And in places like Wuhan, the mayor claimed that at least 5 million people have left the city, leaving a window open for all new opportunities to pop in and spread even more. For medications, at least China was praised for in the short period of time, they detected what the virus was and where it came from. However, for vaccinations, there's strict testing and approval process, which can take anywhere from a couple of months to years. 
This might be even worse news for countries that have poor access to healthcare, clean water, and nutritious food. Those in poverty would continue to work just to meet ends meet, and all those factors could increase the transmissions. So these right procedures are basically imposed restricting entry and quarantine requirements, canceling flights, and closing borders. In many African countries, they are at risk because they just don't have enough money to improve healthcare. And they are still struggling with epidemics such as HIV and malaria. And in Latin American countries such as Venezuela, the political turmoil has left the country vulnerable to spread. Many doctors and nurses have left the country. Even when the president urged businesses and schools to close, it still did not stop the virus spread. In fact, the limited scope of testing, the lack of investment in healthcare, the lack of awareness, and the unawareness of the people who have the virus are those that are widening the pandemic. Since the initial outbreak, there's been a lot of misinformation in which many countries could have done better. But I think it's just a matter of flattening the curve and waiting this out by staying at home and allowing the healthcare workers to use the resources that they have to reach out to those that most need it. From my experiences working as a volunteer at the St. Barnabas Hospital, I can imagine how packed it must be now. The emergency rooms are small to begin with. There were people always outside in beds. And there was always a need for volunteers since it was always packed and the doctors needed as much help as they could get. So seeing as these numbers are piling up, there's just not enough resources for them. And I can feel their frustration and their desperation to help find a cure already. I think also working in a hospital environment has made me appreciate the, all the work that's been done toward finding a cure for this virus. And to identify those who are sick is essentially important. Around the world, a number of countries and companies have developed these type of tests. And the way they work is the first step is a swab is taken from the patient. And the second step is the sample is then taken to a lab. And then the sample is put into a test tube, and if the DNA target is present, it will be multiplied many times, creating flashes of light. Regions, known as probes and primers, are added to the tube and used to target certain parts of the DNA, in which the virus genetic material known as RNA is turned into DNA through a process known as reverse transcription. The diagnosis machine records the level of light and compares it with a positive and negative sample. And if there's a lot of light, that means the sample is a positive for a coronavirus. Test suppliers, Wall Street Diagnosis Corporation, says it, it is distributing 400,000 tests per week to labs in the United States. But that isn't enough to keep the pace without demand. At the height of a global health emergency, demand will outweigh supply, said a company's spokesman, Michael Weist. I think there's so much to learn from this disease so that nothing like this happens again because many know that the rate of the infection could have really changed if we were prepared with the testing. Both the United States and the United Kingdom have been criticized for being slow to test and not testing enough people. Even according to President Mike Pence said on Sunday, 254,000 Americans had been tested so far and as of March 22nd, the United Kingdom had tested 72,818 people. That's in stark contrast with the approach of other countries. In places like South Korea, the government has been made testing incredibly accessible, including drive-through labs, which set the test over 300,000 people out of its 52 million population. However, testing requires trained staff, the right equipment, and the right materials, and lack of any of those could hold up testing. At first, in the United States, all tests required authorization from the 
Food and Drug Administration, known as the FDA. Many labs had validated tests for coronavirus, but they could not use them due to the FDA's protocol for allowing tests during outbreaks. Though the FDA has now allowed companies to manufacture and ship tests before receiving permission. And thanks to those loosened rules, private companies have been able to speed up their response. U.S. company Quest Diagnosis, for instance, launched its new test on March 9th and expects to be able to perform 280,000 tests per week by the start of April. By contrast, in South Korea, a company was able to get its test approved within a week. Therefore, as you can see, there's a significant difference in both countries. Although both have a way of deciding what works best for their countries, it is up to them to figure that out. Since factors such as poverty can play a big importance in whether one country is more vulnerable than the other. So in the next podcast, I'll be talking about the other epidemics throughout history that shaped the world that we know today and how they responded to the outbreak. Thanks for listening.